0: Welcome to the Wanna Learn podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I interview Mark Joseph, who did a documentary on the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. This is the famous trail that goes across northern Spain. And he did it, well, with his father's ashes. And this was a very poignant trip for him and a very emotional trip for him. And he is having a Kickstarter to help raise money to do the finishing touches on this dramatic film that captures El Camino Santiago in its beauty, as well as a story that goes along with it. I talked to him about the making of the movie and what were some of the challenges that he faced. I hope that you enjoy it. And don't forget to go to wanderlearn.com to put your comments and go to murciafilm.com, which is M-U-X-I. A film.com. Enjoy. Welcome to the WonderLearn podcast. This is Francis Tapon. I am here with Mark Joseph and Ariel Jonathan Arias Fernandez. Is that I pronounce that correctly? Good. That's good. good. Yeah. Yeah, Francis. And tell me, guys, where you are right now.
1: Uh, we are in Cochabamba, Bolivia.
0: Bolivia, one of the countries I haven't been to in South America. I'm very jealous. <laughs> um, and both of you kind of met through a near fatal car accident that kind of brought you together. And you guys are both cousins yes. and eventually led you to El Camino de Santiago uh, de Compostela, which is the long route that goes across northern Spain, and eventually made you produce a documentary, which you're going to be launching a Kickstarter. This is a lot that we want to cover, talk about. So I want to focus on El Camino de Santiago, but let's first talk a little bit about your background, and how you guys as cousins met. Introduce yourselves. Mark, I'll start with you.
1: Uh, yes. Um, so I, um, uh, I had an accident uh, in April of uh, 2015, a uh, near-fatal accident. And uh, that accident basically went and did uh, some pretty severe damage to a foot, which caused me to learn how to have to walk again. Uh, also- Wait,
0: sorry, it was this was an autom- automobile accident? Yes, yes. And where was it?
1: Uh, it was uh, heading south uh, on a highway in Indiana. And uh, there was a young man driving north who ended up having um, a seizure while driving. Sorry, uh,
0: oh, no, this was in Bolivia.
1: Th- no, this was in Indiana.
0: Oh, Indiana. Okay, I didn't hear that. Yes, Sorry.
1: yes, it's right. Indiana. Okay. And uh, he ended up crossing lanes into the southbound lane. I was coming out of a business meeting um, with a client. And uh, we basically close to, to, to full throttle. Went nose to nose and we both survived, thank God.
0: Um, uh, what speed? Approximately?
1: Uh, I think by the time we were breaking down, we were probably around the uh, 50 mile an hour mark, but still.
0: Okay, good. We were probably traveling around
1: 65, 70 on either side. Uh, he had no, I mean, he had slowed down. He had no really uh, control because he was in the middle uh, of having a seizure or having an attack. Um, but uh, he had crossed lanes and, and we impacted. Uh, we hit each other. Um, so, um, you know, I have both taken away, uh, by ambulance, well, him by a helicopter and me by an ambulance. And
0: was he injured much worse than you?
1: I'd say pretty much, uh, on, on the same level, uh, as far as recovery. It, it, you know, he was in the hospital a little bit longer to recover. Um, but, uh, at the same time, I had to go through a series of surgeries to, uh, reconstruct my foot and, uh, also... Uh, a section here on, on my face. Uh, but we made it through.
0: Um, and you're still looking handsome.
1: <laughs> <thanks>. <laughs> Appreciate that. I have my days. I don't know.
0: <laughs> For those who are just listening to this on the podcast, uh, we're also filming this uh, video as well on uh, YouTube. So you can watch the video there as well. But continue, Mark. Okay, so then. So,
1: you know, following uh, this incident... Um, you know, I knew I was going to be going through a series of surgeries, uh, and I had just uh, started a couple of years back a fledgling uh, marketing and design company. I'm a graphic designer by trade. And um, so knowing that there would be this process of surgeries and trying to maintain business, it kind of put me into a little bit of, 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 of I was going down into in, in a depression. And because um, I knew somehow, way, there would have to be a start again. To this and then uh, I remembered a, um, a television show that I had seen with um, Rick Steves when I was younger um, uh, about the Camino Santiago and it was you know I was just thinking about what do I do next what do I do next and this is something I was planning on doing with maybe my kids or something like that later on but um, that kind of caused me into taking a look at this as a possible place to create as a victory mark and a victory walk for getting to the point where I can
0: walk again. Um, I hold on. So Jonathan, can you describe the moment that Mark contacted you about this crazy idea he had?
2: Yeah, sure. You know, like he was telling you, he's part of the family. I mean, he's part of my, my wife's family. Um. One day we were uh having some time with my father-in-law and abuelita and abuelita you know grandma grandpa uh so he was there he was there at home and he arrived from i don't know how long he arrived to the house after i don't know like many years and about well, 20 years it had been since I've been in Bolivia. Yeah, so it was a lot. He was not there in that I, particular I house, you know, and that house is really um, significant for the family because it was the house where everyone had some nice moments when they were child and all that. So it's really important house, and that's uh, the abuelita or abuelito. Uh, you're going to find a Abuelita there you get my point so I mean I was there because I love a lot that family so um, we were sharing something I don't know if it was a birthday uh, reunion or something and he got there and he was like who the hell are you man <laughs> I don't know you uh, I know this family but I don't know you so uh, I already knew his father Jaime, uh, and we spent some time with him and Barbara, his mom, and she's so so nice, so kind, and she was like, oh, trying to speak in Spanish, and she was really kind with me. So I got really, really close to, to this part of the family, and he started talking about uh, his father and how he was feeling and, and all that, and he told me, I'm thinking about doing this walking, and... I knew something about I this have, this
0: Okay, so had you heard about the El Camino Santiago at that point, Mark? I mean uh Jonathan? Yeah. Okay, you had no you knew about it. You knew yeah, it. I knew
2: about that. But it was like
0: But you've never been to Spain. Yeah, no.
2: I have never been there. And it was like uh, oh the it, trip I said that's really interesting for me, but I didn't we didn't talk about the project, about a documentary film mm-hmm. or about a movie, nothing. It was just oh We're going to talk to each other. Yeah, we were were starting (laughs) to to each other. And he told me, okay, so maybe I'm going to do this walking. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, that's interesting. Okay, so it was nothing more than that. And then he started asking about uh, what I was doing. And I also had an accident. It was not that bad, but I had um, like, I don't know, almost two years without working uh, my my arms were broken and my hand, I mean it was really, really not nice but anyway, it was not that, that hard but those ones for me were really, really difficult also so he told me about my, my job and I was telling him that I was doing some documentary films and another recordings for uh, some other people I, mean, I was uh, working on production at the time and I'm still doing that And uh, I don't know if he thought about that. I really don't know what he thought that moment But He told me, oh, would you do something like this? But that was afterwards, not that moment, right? Not the day we be Afterwards, he called me and he told me, I'm thinking about doing this. And I said, okay. And could you get together, have coffee or something like that? Okay. So I went like to hear him out. You know, I used to uh share coffees with everyone like hey well we're gonna have coffee time Mm. okay coffee time for me the coffee time means that i'm gonna hear somebody's issues you get my point i say okay use my ear that's it you talk i'm gonna hear it That's it. i'm not gonna do anything but i'm gonna hear you so that i
0: what year was this by the way Sorry? Was this in 2016? 16. 16, yeah. It was
2: 2016. Spring Spring of 16. Yeah.
0: Spring of 16. And so he made you an offer that you couldn't refuse, basically. He said, hey, let's go shoot this documentary together. Let's walk El Camino de Santiago. And he said, I'm not going to just finish in Compostela. Compostela, for those who don't know, is the kind of the official ending point. But you did the extra version. You went to Murcia. There's two uh, points in El Camino that extend a bit beyond about I think about an extra 80 90 kilometers extra uh, which is adds about two three days, four days depending on your pace um, to your journey And how long did it take you Where did you start El Camino de Santiago and where did I mean I know you ended in Murcia Murcia's muXIA um, and it's the uh, right by the ocean the Atlantic Ocean. Yes, but sir. where did you actually start your journey mark? Uh,
1: we began the journey uh, in Saint Jean Pierre the Port. On the French side, probably saying so. that wrong, and French people would not like the way I'm pronouncing I, it. But that's...
0: let me let me since I'm half French, Saint Jean Saint Jean pied <laughs>
2: There you go. That, <laughs> way, that place. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and then you went to Roncesvalles, Saint Jean, oh, <laughs> And
1: uh in Saint Jean, which is you know through my research the traditional starting point. Um, and actually, you know, the with yes. the show that was done by Rick Steves, that's where he started his little show um, that he had done. Um, now, we went ahead in that first day, we crossed the, uh, we went through the Pyrenees uh, into the Basque area. And, um, you know, uh, we just...
0: That's a big uphill climb, isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, it, it, it was. But I was uh, full of a lot of, uh, full of a lot of adrenaline. Um, it wasn't as hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like... I used to do a lot. Of- and,
0: and and your foot was doing okay, I guess?
1: Uh, it hurt. Um, uh, but...
0: Uh, I- From day one?
1: There, there, was, there was always swelling involved. And I had to put a lot of... Uh, there's a topical medication that you can put on it to keep the pain. A diclofenac.
0: How many kilometers could you do per day, Mark, uh, with that foot injury that you still hadn't been fully recovered, obviously?
1: Um my foot recovered was just because I needed more training. And I think what they say with the Camino is that when you do your first section, though, you get your walking legs. For me, it was kind of my walking foot included into that. Um, and I, I think the first leg, if you're going to be doing the, I think that's called the Napoleonic route, when you go over, uh, up and over, uh, it, it's about 15 kilometers, but it's up. So uh, that was quite a break in for me. With uh, both uh, ibuprofen and uh, and the diclofenac on my foot at the same time, but I made it through.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about El Camino for, for those who start at Saint Jean Saint Jean Pied du Port. It's hard because you're out of shape. I mean, relatively, most people are kind of out of shape when they start, and it's the hardest part of the entire trail, isn't
1: it?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's baptism by fire.
2: It is, Yeah, and I would say it's more than 20 kilometers. Actually, when you see the map, when you start, they give you a map and, I don't know, something that's going to help you to go. through. So, it's more than 25 kilometers, actually, the yeah. first day. Yeah. Yes, because you have to go up the hill and then go down until Roncesvalles, right? Yeah. So, that's the place you should end of that day. The first day, that should All be right. your first day. And yeah. that's kind of like 28 or 25 kilometers. So... Assuming that you're gonna go up this big hill it's really it's really tough. It's so really they, really
0: they don't have they don't have a single place to sleep at the top of the mountain. No, uh,
1: you can stop at they have one location called Orison, Uh right before the okay. uh, the Virgin of Orison.
0: Because the people who do El Camino Santiago who are in their 80s, you know, they're incredibly old people who are who are, or other people who are just out of shape uh, who are doing it.
1: Right, right, and and you know sometimes people are having to be taken down. I mean, it's paved enough just that because it's such a hard route that first day it, it's yeah, paved yeah. Uh, in That's some cool. sections so that you can go ahead and, and if they need to call somebody in to bring you back down, they'll, they'll bring you back down. Um, but for the, the most part um, you have Orison, which you can stop as a midway point. And if you're elderly or you're having physical problems, you can at least, you know, stay there in, in the Day for one or two days um, and yeah. then continue on over, you know, so they they it.
0: Okay, so then tell us a little bit about it took about a month, would you say, to get the Murcia or a little bit more?
1: Um, we can go into that a little bit in the interview, but I think we actually got done in um about twenty seven or twenty-nine days. And that was because I was pushing okay. so hard. Uh, I was there was okay, everybody goes through their reason while walking. Mine there was a lot of steam coming out of my ears.
0: What I love about long trails, and I've done many is that it's a time to reflect on your life. So there's a lot of people, maybe about half of the people, who are doing El Camino Santiago, which was a pilgrimage, a Christian pilgrimage, or is, of quote, and yet they're not, they're not doing it for Christianity. They're doing it for other reasons. Um, but for, tell us a little about why your particular reason, what motivated you. Was it religion, Mark?
1: Um, I think it, it was both a combination of... Uh, personal hurts. Uh, It was religion uh, or faith-based. I kind of view religion, even though I'm a practicing Catholic, I view religion and your spirituality within it as two different things. Um, uh, And I was also doing it because I wanted to come to terms with um, some of the things that were revealed to me about my dad and um, my own issues with forgiveness and um, my own, that also stemming into anger and um, I think I guess finally out of it is just to try and, and, and find the answers you know, to, to the wise and and walking with him I walked with his edges so yeah uh, for me that was it was what I call now um, a, uh, a walk of devotion it was a devotional walk because it wasn't just me I was trying to do it for us and pardon me if I I noticed the cry baby amongst our communal
2: family
1: <laughs> so if i get a little choked up during the during the interview please i apologize
0: yeah no no problems i mean this is it is an emo a very emotional journey for sure i mean whether you're whatever the reason you're doing it it pushes you to the limit uh how was it f- um for you jonathan that uh how are you kind of affected by the trail itself
2: Look, I would divide myself in two pieces. Because like I was telling you before, I was like hired to do this job. You know, it's like okay, you are a uh, filmmaker or whatever, you have an idea, we are gonna take an extra guy to record this with a camera, but it wasn't enough to make a recording like if we would really make it a movie, you get it? I mean this is my
0: like The Way, if for those who have seen the movie The Way, there you have a huge crew.
2: Yeah. I mean, you would need a crew with design. you. It was Mark, Alberto, the, it was the camera guy, and me. That actually I was making a lot of filmmaking also, I mean footage, because the guy right. was not, um, uh, he's not a bad guy, but it was like sometimes he was really tired, you know, and it was like, Okay, he's really tired, so, okay, I understand, man. I totally understand you, but we need to do this. Let me your camera. I'm going to do this. So, sometimes he was like, I cannot do this. And he's a really good guy, but, you know, we are... Did
0: you have uh, two cameras? Just one. Just oh, one. just one camera. Yeah, okay, because it, of, okay. it yeah, was really sense. heavy, you know? After this... Yeah, of course. 30 or 40... No, but I years, thought that maybe you could shoot some B-roll with a small small camera, even if it's a phone camera, some phones shooting 4k video.
2: Yes. Yes. But it was like, we needed to have this footage in a really uh, good um, format. Yeah. yeah. Format and you know, so, well, this is one side I had to record. I had to um, record him walking, struggling, uh, sharing with people. It was like my, my main uh, motivation being there. But of course, you cannot put apart your uh, body issues, uh, your hurt, your pain, uh, your own process inside. Because I was struggling with my my father's cancer also. You get me? That moment, uh, I realized my father was with cancer and I was really touched by that. And, and I said, okay, I cannot put this in this uh, thing, in this job. I have to be uh, professional enough to record and that's it. But you cannot do that. I mean, this is the older part of myself uh, that I was going on. also, you know? So I would-
0: Mark, tell me me a little bit about some of the logistical challenges you had for filming this and just doing it uh, as a documentary. And and you're, you're trying to get into your own journey And at the same time, distracted by the practical reality and people, you know, can't underestimate how much time it takes to do these things. I've done it myself, so I know what I'm talking about, but go ahead and explain. You know, I think, I think um,
1: one of the the things for me that was a challenge is that there was no. um, It's getting used to having cameras be there. Um, and I think the, the, the ultimate reason on why I wanted to record this, and we can even go into the reasons why later, is, um, you know, I, I needed a, a sense of, of a memory. Most people have journals, you know, um, uh, for me, uh, just being an artist, being from the business, there, there was the why is why we were doing it, which we, I kind of didn't know why. I just knew that I had to. And so the logistically, it was hard to for me um get used to having cameras around uh it was a little hard to um you know cry in in, in front of a camera um right. you know uh and and show you know raw emotion um because you know eventually people are going to see this but um, i always told myself they're seeing the point of a person in their life they can't look at one person through these things like oh this encapsulates the whole entire person it is it was for me a critical pivot point that it was for me uh, on this walk and i'm just glad we did it but that was the hardest hardest thing logistically for me was just uh, knowing that because it, it wasn't performance but knowing that i could be as, as raw when i needed to be and, and not be afraid of the cameras and within within time that did happen
2: i should add there i'm sorry i should add that it was it was so hard because you're talking about logistics it was so hard that we fought many times. I mean, it was That's like, point. hey man, why in the hell am I here? You get my point? So, what's, two the days, what's the story? Two or three days without seeing him. And it was in the phone like, hey man, where are you? I'm struggling with my own issues. I know, but I need to record you, man. So, <laughs> where are you? I'll see you afterward. Jump by. So, I was like two days. Uh,
0: so, Mark, you went off into the woods, or where did you disappear to?
2: Well, they, it, this, is, this was actually what was
1: recommended uh, to me by somebody who walked the Camino uh, and uh, actually had uh, himself recorded through his process, is that the only way that there is a process that exists is if you have your um, alone time and don't have uh, the cameras on you. And so it was recommended to me by him to be able to create to what we call a jump where uh, John, uh, Jonathan, and Alberto, they went ahead and uh, did a jump. Um, And so during those times, it allowed me to go through and experience some of the things uh, that I needed to, which allowed me to, once the cameras were in front of me again, um, to be able to expose myself further and further.
0: So, sorry, but Mark, were you walking ahead or did you walk off the trail?
1: I walked ahead. Oh, to okay, they may have
0: okay, ju- so you just kind of like steamrolled ahead and they couldn't catch up to you because they were lugged down by their cameras and all their they, gear. They would,
1: they would walk back, literally walk back, or they would jump back for some B-roll and then they would uh, come back forward and meet with me uh, two or three days later. And then we would be okay, all it. together again. But, you know, I think what been walking, they did backwards, I think they may have watched a little bit more than Mushia itself.
0: <laughs> they had exactly. the
1: trains that did help, but a lot, they did a lot of extra walking. And that and made things. it
2: really interesting because it was those those moments we were not together. It was like, okay, so that made me realize this was real. So that's what we're trying to tell through this story. This is not something like we went, and okay, camera action, it's it. Right? It was like, man, we are leaving this process with this guy. And we are living the same process, maybe in another situation or moment, internally talking. But this is the good thing about this uh, documentary film, I think. It is honest. I mean, we try to keep it honest because sometimes it was like, hey, I got this issue or I got this problem. You were not there to film this. And I said, I know, but uh, still good because that's the reality i mean that's what we are living so that's what we are going to be able to tell me maybe i'm not going to see you uh or whatever but i'm going to ask you and you're going to have to tell me in an interview let's say and while we are in the camino we're going to have to tell me this and i'm going to have to believe you get my point me.
0: If he, it's real if you guys had to do it hold on if you guys had to do it all over again what would you do differently
1: um, I, I, have a, I think that you know, a lot of times, and I think, first of all, because it's documentary, because it's, it's, it's in essence real life, um, there, it, it's not contained like a movie or a film. Um, you know, we were tight on budget, and I think what I would have done is I would have not been afraid and spent the extra money on some extra equipment so that it would make John's life a lot easier. Uh, for example some camera equipment having a gable instead of the camera shaking Mm -hmm. these types of things so because people go you know people i guess in the filmmaking industry because they're around technology will go oh gosh look at that camera shake that's oh you know there there seems to be some streaming off of the imagery and but at the same time it's 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 a documentary and uh, documentaries i mean people do them on cell phones now i mean it's okay to be imperfect because it's a documentary but because of, you know, I think both of our perfectionist nature when it comes to producing something, um, it's, it's, it's kind of like, why, why was I afraid? Why was I afraid of it? You know, and that's what we oh. think I would do differently.
0: What advice would you give somebody who's watching or listening to this uh, and they're thinking about doing El Camino Santiago? What would advice would you give them?
2: You go ahead and I'll give my take. Um... You're talking about just doing the Camino but not filming or recording or something like that? Correct. Correct right? Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, well, most we're people are not going to film. So, so just the yeah, average so person who wants I to heard, go off and do. And I would apply and I would, and I would tell them to apply is realize that this is going to be hard first. You have to know this is going to be hard and leave day by day. That's the only thing I would tell them, you know, because when you think, okay, I'm gonna prepare my body and I'm gonna train and I'm gonna do this, and never is gonna be enough. I can't assure you that never is gonna be enough. You're not gonna be prepared here to do the committee. So you have to prepare here every single day. When you're gonna start, you have to think that you're gonna have that day to walk. And that's it. Next day you don't know, you wait. So I would say leave day by day. That's it. That's all I would say. You
0: know, and- what about you, Mark?
2: Um, there are actually uh,
1: two different things. The first is if you're going to do the Camino, uh, do it for your own reasons um, and do your best to prepare yourself to be clean of anybody else's expectations. Um, I think that... Um, for every person it's, it, it is such a personal walk for me. You know, there, there was criticism, um, by somebody online once to me, uh, of, you know, why are you walking with the camera? You're not going to have your authentic Camino. Um, I just, because of the core of who I am as an artist, uh, I needed to have that, I think my memory for myself. Uh, but at the same time, there's a side of me that said, yeah, I wonder what what it would have been like to do it alone. But at that time I was so uh, raw that um, I thank God that, you know, that there was, there was a family there. Um, I think the, the second thing is, um, you know, like John said, you you can't really prepare uh, yourself for the Camino. Um, I think with all the books that are out there, they do help a little bit, but you do have to live the day by day uh, and you have to go uh, at your own pace and don't, if, if you're needing to keep up with people, ask yourself, why do you need to keep up with people? Because you're there for yourself. And if it's time for them to move on at their pace, it's time for them to move on at their pace.
0: But what if you're going with somebody as a partner from the get-go? You know, let's say you're going with your spouse.
1: I think that there are times where, um, if you want, it, it depends on the couple there's, there's no set answer. And that's the one thing about the Camino is, or even about documentaries is that, um, there's, there's no set answer. You have to ask each other why you're both there. And if one gets tired, um, is it okay for them to go that extra mile and say, I will meet up with you a couple of days later. If, if you care for them enough to say, I still want you to keep moving. And then the other one may completely refuse and say, there's absolutely no way I'm not going to leave you behind. Um, so it's it's personal for per a couple.
0: Speaking about personal, Mark, tell us how how and when did your father die?
1: Um, uh, my accident was in early April. He died less than 90 days later. Um, he died from uh, kidney cancer. They had performed surgery. They did not get all of uh, the cancer. And he developed pneumonia. And pneumonia and complications with cancer, it somehow it, it, it progressed it so quickly that he died within around um, seven days.
0: Were you there by his bedside when he died?
1: Yeah, I was. Um, Yeah. Uh, You're asking me that because you want me to talk about about that a little bit. Okay. Um, Sure. Um, And if I'm breaking down a little bit, that's why I have my rep. Uh, You know, um, my father moved from Bolivia to the United States uh, in the 50s uh, to create a new life for himself. Um, He was young, he was 21 years old, and he had that opportunity. Uh, He was actually helped um, by one of his older brothers, which is uh, uh, Jonathan's, not his father-in-law, but his father-in-law's father. Um, And, you know, I I think that the reasons for him leaving also had to do with um, his experiences. Uh, My grandfather was an alcoholic, he used to... My dad's dad used to uh, beat um, uh, my grandmother. uh, And um, basically, uh, there was times where just for the safety of my dad, uh, you know, caught in between this and also the other brothers having to help defend uh, the grandmother from my grandfather. Um, They said, let's go ahead and at least try and reset his life and, and get him out. And so my uncle um, actually help, uh, helped him pay to get to the United States to go to school. And, um, he reestablished his life there, but those pains, um, that he had, uh, towards my grandfather really came out in, his, in, in while he was passing. Um,
0: now, but your relationship with your father wasn't that great either. I mean, you had problems.
1: Um, the problems weren't the relationship. I think the problems came from the pain uh, of his relationships. He never beat me. Uh, he never hurt me. He would yell. Uh, he would have expectations. He would criticize. But, um, you know, there's there ways that he, I think, far surpassed his circumstances of, of, of what he lived in as, as a child. Uh, but... I recognize now that a lot of those things also, he didn't have a chance to grow uh, as well. And um, so, you know, I think his reactions towards other people, I think you learn from your parents. And this is the thing that is passed on. This is part of those generational wounds that you, you know, pass on to a child, if he sees you yelling, if he sees you angry, if he sees you upset for days over somebody that may have done something wrong to him, you learn that this is the way to be. And then you take that into your relationships and you can take that into uh, to your children. And so the generational wound doesn't have to be the beatings or or abuse or anything like that, even though he experienced it. Gen- generational wounds can also come to. The way you're taught and how you can even pass that anger or pass that unforgiveness and take it to the next level and, and take it down. To
0: so would you say, Mark, uh, part of the purpose of going on this El Camino Santiago, this transformative journey, which I'm a big believer in, in when you're going through these things, if you want to get over some issue in your life taking a long walk is actually a fantastic way of doing that. So was part of the purpose of doing El Camino Santiago for you, Mark, was to get over your generational wound, or at least to heal this generational wound, as you say?
1: To heal it as much as I could. I think there's expectations that people want you to be fixed when you come back. Um, But um, and this is where I said, you know, the expectation should be you walk it, you walk it for yourself. Um, But it was for me, not only mine, um, but also, um, some things uh, one, of my child, one of my children in particular are going through and have been going through ever since the communal two years ago that uh, I really had to make a decision for myself on how to um, work with this child and support them in their, process, in their processes. You know, uh, uh, things that maybe my dad didn't know how to do that I had to come to terms, even if I knew it was going to be hard. And, and it is still hard to this day, but that will also be revealed in the documentary. So.
0: Did your dad? Did your dad want to be cremated?
1: Uh, yes, he did.
0: Okay. okay, and then tell us about your decision to take his ashes with you through El Camino Santiago.
1: Um, on, on a spiritual level, um, you know, I do believe that there there was, I think, a personal meaning for him being able to walk with me. Uh, I believed through the process, and I believe, because people will doubt it, that spiritually he was with me through, through a number of the processes that I had gone through. Um, but at the same time, um, I knew that it was um, therapeutic uh, for me in my heart that I'm actually physically, in some manner of way, walking with my dad. Um, and the, the things that happened at his bedside when he was dying um, galvanized my reason from not only walking as a victory walk from getting over an accident but that there was something deeper um, to be able to have to walk for and something more devotional uh, to have to walk for for him and for me especially with what um, especially with what he went through when he was done
0: now tell us a little bit about the process now that you're gonna be doing this Kickstarter that you're going to be launching. Sure. Have you uh you haven't cut the you haven't done a final cut of the film right now. You're gonna be raising how much money are you trying to raise uh to complete the film? Because uh, you got all the footage, almost all the footage I imagine.
1: We have most of the footage. We have about ninety percent of the footage. Um we still have to go through a predominant amount of it is going to be used for post editing. Obviously, a portion of it is going to be used for incentives to give people what I think are going to be you know, valuable uh, incentives. Uh,
0: Sorry, uh, how much are you tr- are going to be aiming to raise? Uh, $65,000. 65- okay, and it's an, it's an all-or-nothing thing. Yes, it's, a, it's going to be
1: an all-or-nothing thing, yes.
0: So if you raise $40,000, you get nothing. Correct. Correct. Okay, so when people pledge on Kickstarter... Just be aware of that, that whatever you end up pledging, you may not be charged the dime if if Mark is not able to raise the 60000 And so I imagine the bulk of that, maybe what, 70%? Well, the bulk of it is going to, to go production
1: towards um, uh, final B-roll and getting over there, doing the B-roll editing uh, and all the post-production with sound, everything that needs to make it to the quality of what people expect today when it comes to documentary films. Uh, right. Part, of, part and, of it, go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. Continue.
1: Uh, part of it obviously is to pay towards, uh, incentives and then, uh, pay towards people that are, uh, involved in helping marketing it and, and those, those types of things.
0: And then once the film's got, what is your timeline of when you want to release it sometime, uh, November, 2019, maybe? Uh, no,
1: <laughs> um, we're, 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 uh, I'm working with, uh, a gentleman who, um, Uh, deals with production out of California. And he says expectations should be uh, anytime in April of 2019. He said with the amount of footage that we have to be able to work with, um, he says we need to lineate this. I know what expectations I have as far as a story that needs to be told, uh, but we need to lineate it and pull in enough of the the extra interviews or things that need to be done to be able to tighten this up so that once it's uh, cut and ready to go out the door, that it is going to be something that is going to be relevant and meaningful for people who are either dealing with generational wounds uh, or are considering walking the Camino Santiago and uh, another point of view to take from doing the Camino. So um, I think the one thing that does need that does need to be said is is when we went into producing this film, um, John, you know, just being the the director that he is is. It's like, you know, why am I here? <laughs> he said, why am I here? And I look at him and say, I don't know. Let's just film and see what happens. You know, because it's, you know, life and, and, and documentaries is, is kind of like, how do you lineate that? What's the final goal of the story? I felt a call to go on this walk. I felt a call to go with my father. We brought cameras along to record it for me as an artist and wanting to do something that I guess to be artistically relevant during this time of my life. Because my dad always pushed me to follow what was in my heart. You know, he's it your heart first. So I didn't know. I think that confused John a lot, but as things have evolved, things have come together in in, in, in a pretty terrific way.
0: What happens if you don't raise the sixty thousand? You only raise twenty thousand and the whole thing. I is to plan B? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I don't want to think about that. Uh, small and speaking about that, I mean, climate do you think maybe? But I don't want to do it that way. I mean, you, you can you okay. can tell the story little by little. I'm after. just asking, like, because when people are thinking about doing El Camino Santiago, for example, it's another big project, kind of like doing a documentary. In a sense, you're doing two big projects. One is walking it, and then the second thing is doing this film. Yes. For most people, they're just doing El Camino, right. and is it good to have a plan B when you're walking El Camino? Like, what if I don't get to Compostela? What if I don't? What if after a hundred kilometers of hiking I break down what or whatever. I just get tired of this.
1: I think that the thing for the plan B um, and I, I, is that um, sometimes things don't happen. And I think that's part of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, things don't happen the way you want, even though you have, you know, maybe big goals and dreams that are big for you. Um, and if you physically are taxed and can't complete it, or maybe tragedy happens back at home and you have to leave, then at that time it's not meant to be. But even if it's not meant to be at that time, it doesn't mean that it's over. It doesn't mean that you can't go back. Um, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll not be when you want it to, but it'll happen when it is, I guess in the way serendipity is supposed to happen. The way things have developed for us in the production of this documentary, things have happened to where there has been more clarity um, that I'm glad I've gone through in, in doing this project. Uh, then, um, I, I mean, I was a complete mess during the walk, But don't, don't hate yourself. Don't get beat up uh, if you have to quit because of your leg or if something is pulling you back home. It's, there will always, there's always a future. You have to have hope. And I mean, you have to have hope, which is one of the points of the document. Uh,
0: before we go, uh, Jonathan, uh, tell us about what surprised you about El Camino de Santiago.
2: I don't know so many things, but if I if I'm trying to think just about something specifically relevant, well,
0: I mean, were you was it tougher than you expected, easier than you expected?
2: I think it was tougher. Yeah, I mean, I was you know we were talking about I was a boy scout when I was a guy when I was a kid, but not enough. I mean, that's because I was telling you before you have to think about these both sides I was telling you one thing is the your body I mean your health your body that you're going to walk it's going to hurt that's because you have to be prepared day by day thinking about this but the other side the spiritual or internal side I think that's the most important thing and that's something that really amazed me because it was uh, the place was so beautiful every single day you could see another uh, another country, I mean, another place, another, uh, maybe you were seeing something different. So that was, it was really interesting for me. Every day I walked, because you know, we had to walk anyway, with the camera, whatever, we, we had to do it. So, uh, amazing a lot. That, it was so beautiful. To walk. I mean, the the place, it was so beautiful. Uh, These views you had and all that, it was wonderful. But something happened inside for me also, you know. And it was, I know I was uh, recording something or uh, there to do a job or whatever, but I couldn't (laughs) stop thinking that it was really blessed being there for me. Uh, So I realized that. I was there because of something, you know, and I started thinking about that moment. And like, I was telling him why am I here? I don't know, but I'm going to know afterwards, maybe. So when I went there, there was no expectations about that. I had to do my job. That's it.
0: Was it hard when all of a sudden you're seeing, let's say Mark, your cousin, you know, basically uh, having a breakdown and crying and, being frustrated and there you're trying to film him and part of you probably wants to comfort him and part of you wants to say hey you know or but I mean as a filmmaker you just have to keep rolling the film
2: <laughs> yeah I mean it was hard it was hard because sometimes it was like okay man I mean it's not time to cry man I mean talk to <laughs> me I mean it's not time to cry but then you think like you're telling me right I mean man this is not a, a character and that's something really clear that we talk afterwards. This is not a character. This is not, this is not Hollywood, right? I mean, this is real life. So that was really hard. I mean, I was like, okay, am I going to record him or not? He's crying or he's really touched or he's really, I don't know if I'm going to record or not. And, and then I said I have to record. I mean, we are here. Of
0: course, of course. That's those are the best parts of and any film, especially documentary, are the emotional parts. Yes, it's, that was really it's, nice. It's and it was
2: like, okay, man, you're going to be okay. Ah. Everything's going to be okay, but we have to record. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was really interesting, and it was awesome. It was. It was really good. You know, the one
1: thing when he was mentioning about the emotional side of it, and I think I was going, I would have mentioned this also when it kind of comes to preparing yourself, is people have now uh, divided the Camino into sections. Um, and they divided it into the the uh, the body, uh, the mind, and the spirit. Like the body uh, is for your first leg, uh, the mind ends up being the maseta, which can be a very long area to walk and. That's when you're on the carousel thinking of all the problems in your life. That's just the physical. Um, and then the spiritual being when you hit Galicia and you've gone, most people have gone through a certain amount of things and you start to connect. Um, I, I think what you what people think that they have to live up to that. And this is what I'm talking about expectations. Uh, I was such a combination of all three of them through the whole process through Even to the point to where, you know, the one thing I'll I'll tell you about what happened is, you know, the priest, even though I had um, chosen uh, Mushia as the place to let my dad's uh, ashes go, um, uh, the priest saw how messed up I was. Uh, I had gone to confession and, and he's like. You're not done yet. You, you, you need to keep going. And he, he mentioned musha first. So I mean, musha musha is a. Place. So, you,
0: so you were going to be going to Compostela. You were going to end it there. But then you've talked with uh, Reverend Philip Scott, and he told you keep going.
1: Uh, no, uh, I, I can talk a little bit about about uh, Father Philip here in a second. But uh, when you go into into Compostela and you go to the cathedral. You know, there's like these like these confessional booths that are like open face. You know, the face-to-face confessionals, like you kind know, of like the Coney Island lady. You know, it's just face face, and you have to you're looking around, going, "Oh my gosh, I need to talk about this stuff with people around." But um, I went ahead and, and and knelt and went through the uh, the ritual and started talking with him, and he could see how uh, how torn up I still was. Um, and he grabbed me by my hand and pulled me in. And he he said, your journey is not done here yet. You need to keep going and you need to uh, go to Musia and then go to Finestad.
0: And that's that's the name of the film, The Road to Musia. By the way, I'm going to give a tip to both you and to people who are listening or watching to this um, when it comes to Kickstarter projects. One thing that's consistent is that they always deliver later, almost always. I think about 80% of projects and maybe 90% of projects deliver later. So even though you think you can get it done in April 2019 and have it released into the customer's hands by then, I would promise November. <laughs> because, <laughs> oh, because no. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, I know you hate, but just it doesn't, you know, who's going to get mad at you, Mark or Jonathan? for saying, hey, we're three months early. Is anybody going to get angry at you? Nobody's going to get angry at you. So you just say, internally, you guys shoot for April, and then you've got the November official, and if you get it to people's hands five months earlier, everybody's happy. But it's incredible. And this goes also for the people listening or watching this. When you participate in a Kickstarter project, whatever the organizers and the people who are doing the Kickstarter tell you, think this could be delayed another six months or another year and be okay with that because I see people who support projects and get furious because you promised me I was going to get this gadget in April and it's a year late and da, da 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 da. So both sides need to kind of push back this time because it's such a common thing. Even with my project, when I did a Kickstarter, even I was a few months late and I felt terrible and I thought I was being conservative. Anyway. It's my tip to, to both of you. So yeah. Uh, um, how how do people how, how do people find out about the project and and the Kickstarter? If they just search for Road to Musia. Yeah, they can go to
1: Facebook. They can query in uh, Road to Musia. They'll go to the uh, Facebook page, uh, Facebook and website, or how we're driving. Uh, okay,
0: and then and we'll spell it out. Uh, Musia is uh, M U X I A.
1: Yes. Okay. Wrote the, the website is, uh, dot film.com. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and, uh, and
0: that has all the links to, and that'll have the links also to the Kickstarter, yeah. which will yes. uh, last for, uh, as, as probably what, two months. I think you said,
1: yes, it's, it's going to be up for 60 days. Uh, I'd okay. like to hit the algorithm and we've been building a buzz and building a community for the past couple of years. So we're hoping that it will be one of those projects that can go high on the algorithm and uh, can get funded in a week. But we'll see. You know, everybody shoots. Yeah. You know, everybody swings for the. By fun. the
0: way, I mean, uh, I've read. I read a lot about it. I mean, obviously you've picked your your 60-day date, but I've read a lot of people saying that it's 30 days is the optimal that you actually raise more money because you create the sense of urgency and all this other stuff. But yeah. uh, you guys go and you decide what you want to decide, but I I remember 30 days was a long time. It felt like when I was when I was doing my Kickstarter, it was like, wow, this is taking, you know, it's going forever and 60 days is a real marathon. Yeah. So, and the question is is whether you'll be able to raise more or less. You might raise the same amount if you just push it all for 30 days anyway but that's just me giving random advice thank you
1: yeah we'll okay. take it no, we'll take it now you have us thinking yeah. on our side um yeah. yeah um and you know you mentioned one person um and i it's something i do want to explain about the documentary uh you mentioned uh, father philip scott uh he is a peruvian born priest that was uh raised in baltimore uh maryland and um a A lot of people within the community um, have wondered, is this going to be a religious film? Because they see this, you know, this gentleman, this friar, who looks like a 13th century monk, you know, with his big beard and whatnot in in, in some of the uh, clips that we have online. Um, You know, my Catholicism is my experience. Uh, I I struggle every day. You know, when people say they're Catholic, they expect them to be perfect. I struggle every day, man. Um, And... I think that I've known the guy for, um, uh, for close to 25 years and he, uh, chose the priesthood over being a graphic designer. So we have the creativity and the backgrounds of design and things like that, that were in common. Uh, very earthy guy, a uh, very, uh, upfront guy. But for me, it has been his dialogue that has helped me through uh, a number of my processes plus my own expo- exploration on how to deal with, uh, the, the things that we're dealing with with when it comes to generational ones. Um, it is not a Catholic film. Uh, it hits uh, nobody's gotten. It, it is about a, an internal journey and a generational journey. My generational journey, because a lot of movies will talk about the Camino as the present. But I think where I'm trying to help myself and hopefully in, in, in some way help others is talking about something deeper that causes people to get there and say, yeah, to where I was so raw and confused going through this, they can maybe have some time ahead of time to figure out a few things for themselves before they do that walk. Because I think their walk will be much more relevant for them if they do that, <laughs> instead of ending up there as a basket case, kind of like I did, and, and, and going through everything.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, Good yeah. Good advice. Okay, well, it's been a pleasure talking with both of you. Um, and I wish you the best for your uh, launching of the Kickstarter project and for uh, journeys beyond that.
1: Thank you. So Thank you, Francis. You take care. It was good to talk to you. Man. Don't rejoice. We say so. hello.
0: Likewise. Okay. Thank you. And fine. that concludes this episode of the Wander learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question then go to wanderlearn.com and click on the latest episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember Ftapon. That's my first initial and my last name. Ftapon is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. Here's one last reason to remember Ftapon. If you like what I do and want to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash, yep, you guessed it, Ftapon. That's where you can pick up some sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. And remember, subscribing to the wander Learn podcast helps, but downloading each episode helps even more. Please share the podcast, review it, and sign up for my newsletter at WanderLearn.com. This show was edited by Rejoice Tapon. The music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon, encouraging you to wander and learn.